Yo, take it personal. You're checking out Take It Personal with my band. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Checking out the Take It Personal radio show. Yeah, yeah. They playing nothing but that authentic classical boom bap shit. Check check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Check it out. This is Marco Polo. Yo, check this out. This is Soul Brother number one, Pete Rock. This is DJ Premier. You're live and direct to the speaker. And you're checking out. Take it personal. Take it personal. What up, though? This is Merce. This is DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill. This is Dell, the funky homo sapien. You are checking out Take It Personal. And introducing in this corner, A-A-Rock. The one they call Aaron Wade. Aaron yeah, Wade. Chilling with my people. And over there, Roger the announcer. That's it. No, no famous. That's it. Roger the announcer. Take It Personal. With my people spinning that fly shit. You heard? Hip hop, stay winning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another exclusive interview on Take It Personal with Hieroglyphic's own Casual. Okay, we have our next special Hiro guest. We have Mr. Smash Rockwell, Mr. Casual. What up, though? Yeah, what's up with it? How you doing, man? Oh, everything's good, man. Just out on the road, getting ready to rock Cleveland. You guys are back on the road, and then you have Hiro Day coming up in a few weeks. Yes, sir. We got the big day, the big event. It's like the eighth annual Hyro Day coming up. It'll be September 2nd, our Labor Day. So, you know, it should be cool. I, I've asked everybody so far on the show, so I'm going to ask you, what, what does Hyro Day mean to you? Uh, for me, Hyro Day is a sacred day in my home city that we carved out for the uh, independent artists uh, to have a platform to perform with big name artists and also to to present the talent of our community to the people of our community. And so it's like a big, really it's a big block party street festival where we invite artists from all over to uh, rock with our local artists. Got it, got it. Um, I want to touch a little bit on, on obviously, the, the dominance that Hyro is, uh, you, you coming out. One of the things that um, we talked about with Dell is, and, and I think the same goes for you, when you both released your debut album, you were like, I think, 17, 18 years of age, right? Yeah, exactly. So fear itself does not sound like it's coming from a 17-year-old kid. <laughs> not at all. You sound very mature. Um, this album is extremely polished. It, it was a my I, and I said this to both Dell and Domino. I think it's my favorite Hyro release to date. I mean, you guys had a remarkable run from 1991 to what 94, four or five. Um, yeah, this is like back that. to back to back to back classics. But your album in particular stood out because it was, like I said, it was a little different. You know, you've always carried a, a different swag to you, and I hate using that word, but I don't know how. It, you've been more like macadocious, as uh, cliche as that sounds, you know what I'm saying? So how the hell were you that mature at that age? And how, I mean, did you even fathom like what that album would be like once you released it and put it out for listeners? No, uh, I think 
I think we were really inspired by uh, guys who were deeper than the average rappers. So we were inspired by, you know, the lyricists, the big word rappers, all of the, uh, even all the native tongues and a lot of New York MCs, as well as a lot of the guys uh, from the Bay Area, Too Short being the majority of our favorites, you know, at that time. And so that right there is going to make a different combination that will result in producing a different type of MC, somebody bumping Too Short and G-Rap back in 88. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one thing we were, we didn't want to be considered kitty rappers. We didn't want to, like, we knew how young we were, and we so we just wanted to make sure our content was the level of content that could give a contribution. Coming from the West Coast, that could give some sort of a lyrical standard for what you should, you know, assume that MCs on the West Coast are doing. We didn't want to misrepresent. We already knew everybody thought we didn't have lyrics. I didn't want to be like the youngsters. I knew about Bow Wow and them. I could have got lumped right in with them because I was 16 when I was writing and 17 about when it dropped, you know what I'm saying? Or by the time it came out, I may have been 18. So we were focused on trying, I mean, you know, at that age, you even try to make your voice deeper because you're trying to sound like you're finished maturing and you're a man and... And you know, some of it was just raw skill too. We were just, I was at an age where I didn't edit much of my lyrics and I didn't filter a lot of my thoughts. I just would write raps in like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And a lot of that was just true raw, you know, youth, straight up. But you know, we tried real hard to make more mature music. Casual, you, you know, you talked a little bit about the way, you know, your voice and so forth and, and, there are a lot of rappers that, over the years, their voice has, has completely changed. And you sound exactly like you did in 1994, <laughs> which yeah. is pretty amazing. And you talked about not wanting to, to you know, be pigeonholed as, like, kitty rapper. When you look at this cover, you, you there's no way you can tell how old you are on this cover. And uh, when, you yeah. were make, when you were making this album, did you when it was done and you sat back and listened to it, did you, at the time, I, I'm sure you were amazed, like, damn, I can't believe I did this, but did you have any idea of how fucking good this is? No, I, uh, I, I probably didn't. I mean, I wasn't even on it like that. What I was on was trying to make sure all of the MCs knew I was dope MC. Like, that was my main concern, and Jive would lose lose faith in me because of things like that. They'd be like trying to hook me up with big time producers and all this other stuff. And I didn't have much interest in that. My main interest was in making sure people knew I could rap. So at the time when I completed the album, once I felt like, okay, it's some bars on here that I really ain't heard too many rappers rapping like this. I was, I was satisfied no matter what the result would be. Like, I didn't be like, ooh, I recorded a classic. I wasn't like that. I just was like, I know that some rappers can hear this and hear a few styles that they never heard before. And so a lot of my achievements and a lot of my accolades that I looked for was from people who wrote raps and people who dealt with the science of bars. So, you know, when it came to, like, Knowing it was a classic and stuff like that, I was just oblivious to that type of stuff. Well, given, I mean, what you were just saying, I mean, staying in the lane of 
your vocals and what you're all about. I mean, the West Coast didn't have a sound like yours, and, and you came out pretty early in that whole West Coast thing. I mean, given your East Coast style and other West Coast MCs talking trash that you shouldn't rep as a West Coast artist, I have to say you stayed pretty consistent through your career with your style. And I think that you grew up in an era where like West Coast really didn't create its lane yet. You know what I mean? So you grew up hearing like almost that L.A. electro sound. And I yeah. think that I, I would assume that that's what made you gravitate towards more of an East Coast style. Not that you were being biased, but I mean, is that fair to say? Well, it was more intriguing. I was surrounded by the culture that everybody on the West Coast rapped about. So I wasn't flattered to hear, I mean, I liked hearing two, two shorts artistry, but it wasn't compelling. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like pushing the envelope. And at that young age, we were young and curious and ready to learn more about the world. And the MCs who provided that type of stuff was like rock him and you know it didn't even matter where they was from new york was just more advanced than everybody back then it's not nothing to be ashamed of if you wanted to to get into the heart of lyricism you had to be attached to new york in some way at that time and we didn't have any physical connection it was simply through what i heard and so Honestly, you should be right. It was, you know, the the standard wasn't set for West Coast lyricism back then, so they had to say, y'all rap like the East Coast. But that was only in the beginning of our careers. By the time we came out, other rappers contributed and said, no, I like, you know, we got some style too. It don't sound West Coast. It really don't sound East Coast. But it's about them bars. It's about lyricism. And then after 10 years passed, no one will say Kendrick Lamar. No one will say uh, any of these really good MCs from the West Coast sound East Coast anymore. It's like the kids grew up after us and understood that there were West Coast lyricists, you know? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you had Freestyle Fellowship. You had the Liquid Crew. You had Farside. But there were two two East Coast MCs in particular that I, that I would like you to explain to me what they meant to you and how they helped you, and that's Organized Confusion. Oh, well, my relationship with Organized Confusion is intriguing because, uh, you know, I got my record deal by blocking the doors at a, a convention in San Francisco called the Gavin Convention. Mm-hmm. It happened in, like, 91. Uh, there was a Gavin in, like, February 91 or something like that. We cut school, went to the convention, and we didn't have passes. These were like $500 passes to get into all the seminars. We couldn't afford them. But when we got there, we got into the lobby, and then you needed a pass to get up to the up the elevator. So I just guess out of some spontaneous burst of courageousness, I was like, fuck, forget that. If I can't go up, nobody can't go up. <laughs> and we start blocking the elevators. And so a crowd started forming around us. And instead of just like being ruthless vagabonds blocking the elevator, we was just like, you know what? Give me a beat. <laughs> and let's not start beatboxing. And so MCs start coming around. And lo and behold, it turns out to be a cycle with me, Pep Love, uh, Curious George, Curious. and Pharaoh Monch. 
and Prince Paul, but Moss was rapping more. I think Moss was just rapping. Paul wasn't rapping. And so we, 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 uh, I mean, he wasn't rapping. He probably was beatboxing or something. But uh, we, we rhymed, 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 rhymed. That was my first time meeting Moss. I knew of him from their chicken song, because that's how, that's, this is way back then. Damn, it really hurts my heart to remember these remember days way back in the 70s. 70s. The only age used to know what's Kool-Aid. Cornbread, cornrows, and cornbread aids. Pull up a chair, read a book like Dr. Seuss. Fill up the skin, eat all the meat, fill on the bone, and then suck the goo, man. If my mother was the colonel, her chicken would have sold. It even tastes better the next day cold. Chick, chicken. Chick, 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 chicken. And I'll tell you no lie, uh, this is like, within San Francisco, I live in Oakland, probably an hour commute, whatever. By the time I got home on public transportation, it probably took a little longer. By the time I got home, my whole answering machine was filled with A&Rs. So when I gained my first interest in hip-hop was at a little cypher blocking the doors with Pharaoh Monks, you feel me? Oh, now let damn. me tell you how intriguing, because it goes on. So later I got my deal, if you don't mind, I go a little bit on. Later I got my deal, and I recorded my first album, dropped it, I'm working on my second album, and Jive was like, who you want to work with? I'm saying Organized Confusion. So they got me in the studio with Organized Confusion, but if anybody remember the history of hieroglyphics and the history of hip-hop at about that time, there was a rebellion against major labels. Mm -hmm. And we were caught up in that rebellion. We were like some of the... KRS-One was like leading it. I think Q-Tip put out the uh, the catchphrase record company, People Are Shady. Industry rule number 4080. Record company, People Are Shady. And you know what I'm saying? Rule number 4080. And it was all jive artists rebelling like this, if you notice. And so we had did our little rebel thing. We had like acted real crazy at the House of Blues when we were supposed to perform for some Disney artists. I mean, for some Disney executives. Well, this was like a week after I was in the studio with Organized Confusion. Check this out. They playing the beat for me. They ain't even got the second half of their money or nothing. We in Chun King Studios. I get a phone call from Domino. I answer the phone. He said, hey, you just got dropped. Just like that. Wow. I lost my yeah, I lost my deal when I'm with Munch. So I got my deal with Munch and I lost my deal with Munch. Whoa. And this is just this is just crazy because they were so solid. I was solid too, but as in, when I look back on it, because the first thing I started thinking was how they gonna get their money. I wasn't even thinking about my deal because we wanted to get off the labels. But I'm like, they put me in a, a jam and they did this on purpose. They got me in the studio with some New York dudes who ain't finished being paid and called me in the middle of the session basically telling me they not gonna get the rest of their money. You feel me? Shit, wow. And so I turned to Munch and I just told him the truth. Like, you know what? I just got dropped. And I'm like, I don't know how y'all even gonna get the rest of it. And I was like, man, that's the last thing you need to be thinking about right now. You feel me? That was like, just chill for a minute. I smoked the blunt. That was like, let's finish the song. And <laughs> we finished the song. You feel me? And then, uh, and that was the end of that one. And so, and, and I'm waiting to do a song. Me and Munch about to do one probably for, uh, my new record up for Break Breeze Blue record. That was fucking gold. Damn. So <laughs> that was gold. Whatever happened to that song? 
Uh, you know what? That's funny. It's probably on some wheels owned by jobs that they don't even care about. Mm. Uh, deep down in the storage vault of Sean King somewhere. You wow. know what I'm saying? So we got we got to hit up Barry Weiss for that record. <laughs> <laughs> or John or John King, yeah. You, you know, you now that these labels is all dissolved, you can recover some of that old material because, you know, I've done it before. That whole second album, I went and recovered a lot of it, but that was stuff I recorded in New York. The stuff I recorded in on the West Coast, I did recover. Well, didn't I, ironically, weren't you on Hollywood Basic for a short time before you even uh, went into the Jive stuff? I mean, I'm trying to parallel. I'm trying to parallel the uh, organized stuff. Well, you got really good. Uh, you got really good information. I never signed, but uh, indeed, I would. I got a deal from them. That was my first, my yeah, second I, offer. I, I remember something like that. That uh, yeah. Shit, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I, I pride myself on knowing everything. What? I said I pride myself on knowing everything, and I didn't even know that you were signed to Disney, uh, Hollywood Basic. Wow. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't or sign initially to got, an offer, yeah, got an offer. Got an offer. Because, 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 yeah, yeah. um, what's yeah. her name? Uh, what's uh, Chang? Chang. Chang. The one with the woo. Chang was the one who signed you with Jive, right? Yeah, Sophia. Sophia. Sophia Chang signed me with Jive, but there was an A and R first name uh, Casualty. I think that was his name. He was the A&R for uh, Hollywood Basics. Gotcha. And they offered me like 70 grand. That was my first deal in the tens of thousands column because somebody offered me like five Gs. <laughs> then it was like 70 grand. And I was like, I'm not signing for that, but I was happy. And then John came with like 180 and then Electra came with 200 and then John came with like... 205 or something, and then I think I signed for something like that. Well, you just spoke about the two labels that I, I was curious about. Yeah, I know that there was a bidding war between Jive and Electra, uh, and, and you know, Electra eventually took Dell, and you, of course, you know, went with Jive. Do you think a guy like Dante Ross would have changed the trajectory of your career, or were you happy with making the choices of staying with Sophia Chang and Jive? No, I should have went with Dante. Uh, and I, when I think back of it, he signed, you know, he, he was integral in a lot of uh, like-minded artists' careers. Yeah. And Sophia was as well, but Dante was the truth. I don't want to say she wasn't the truth, but, you know, she had to work hard to be what Dante already was. All right. Dante had more of a vision than, than Sophia. They only had the same job label. They two different monsters completely. Yeah. Sophia was strong at what she did. She had a lot of feminine power and she could get you to do what she wanted you to do. You know what I'm saying? She yeah. could get a lot of rappers to do things. And I'm talking about honestly and wholesomely, but she just had that business mind to get you to do something. I also think the labels too were, were big, you know, different completely different animals, those labels from each other. Yes, they were. And uh, but as I look back, I probably would have had a good run if I would have went with uh, Electra too. Well, Dante had the vision, and he put you with the, the curious collab was dope. And even later on with the Everlast, right? The funky beat. Those are you know yes, th those sir. are things it's that Dante. Dante doing. Yeah, those are things that Dante does well. So I, there's one more thing I want to touch on, which I'm sure you get hit up about every single day. But our listeners. Um, and myself included, are always fascinated when this topic comes up. And that has to be with what I think is really the start um, of really battle rap, on the, at least on the West Coast 
You know, you and Saphir. Publicly. You, I mean, this is, there was always battle rap. You know what I'm saying? But this was really what put this it was on the, the fucking radio. Two radio stations. Yeah. It was on the beat and it was on uh, the wake up show, right? Uh, KMEL. All right. I mean, you know what? Let's keep it real. There was always battle rap because we wouldn't even know how to come to our, a form, that form of conflict resolution. We did not discover it right at that point. But what we did was bring it back. Yes. I mean, it wasn't cracking like that. And resolving conflict in the way that we attempted to resolve our conflict was almost a new thing to people because the last battles before that was either hashed out on the wax or they was eons before that. Like, you're going to be going to Busy B and all kind of stuff like that, LL and Kumo D or whoever. You know what I'm saying? And so that one, now that it's ancient now, but it was a modern uh, revival of the that type of conflict resolution. And not only that, but it was it, it turned into a standing point because I was not going to write raps for Sophia. I told him, nope, I'm not writing. If you want to write, you're going to wear that advantage. But I'm not about to write. And so to a lot of rappers, this battle was judged on different merits. I mean, you know, it had, it had like different ways you could look at it. And, uh, you know, a lot, nowadays people, just like you said, a lot was sprung off of that moment. I mean, they, right after that, the makeup show just blew up and they did a battle every Friday. Absolutely. Um, because, yep, because the ratings were so high on that battle, they had to try to duplicate it. And so all of the MCs who tried to stand in our shadow, they didn't see that as what they were doing, but that's exactly what they were doing. I mean, co commercially, they were on the radio trying to gain the same amount of ratings as uh, me and Sophia battle gained uh, authentically. And so that turned into what, I remember it because I sat there sad while it was happening because I felt excluded from everything that happened after my battle. Like they started doing TV shows. They did a TV show called The Blaze Freestyle. Battle. What, what was it called? They did The Blaze Battle. It was on MTV, the TV show. Uh, it was like the freestyle. Oh, what was that freestyle show, show with words, words? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Lyricist the, Lounge the show. Lyricist Lounge. Yeah. So you can start this Lyricist Lounge like six months after the battle. I mean, I remember because it was in my life. It maybe was like a year after the battle. Were you like, motherfucker, put me on it? Hell yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> do I even got to reach out to y'all for that? Because y'all know everything y'all doing on y'all set came from, got inspired from what you just was going through. Right, right. I mean, and so that was, to me, I was like, that was some, that helped to uh, 
mature my attitude in hip hop as well. That's why I don't be messing with a lot of rappers and stuff. I just be like, it be a lot of too much competitiveness. You know what I'm saying? I also felt I held myself back by, by not, you know, dealing with hella MCs and stuff. But I be like, I'm cool. I got my crew and everybody hella boosty, so it is what it is. Well, well, that's what I meant. You guys really put it in the forefront. There's always been battle rap, but there wouldn't be like Juice and Super Nat. There wouldn't be Scribble Jam. There wouldn't be all these things that glorify battle rap. It wasn't for, you know, you guys in, in 1994. Plus uh, the marquee, Hyro versus Hobo Junction. And it was like, you know. Yeah, I mean, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I, clearly you get what I'm saying. But that is what yeah, I, I think do. propelled the whole battle rap scene. I don't want to talk about the battle because that's been beaten to death. I just want to know, was it really, did it happen over a misunderstanding? Because I know Safir was on your joint, you weren't on his. And, and the word yeah, is. Yeah, it could have been considered. It could have been considered a misunderstanding. I couldn't make it to the studio that night, and he didn't want to uh, let me come the next day to do it. He felt I needed to make it on that night, and I just couldn't make it. I felt he was being uh, not, you know, unreasonable. But he was being unreasonable, intentionally unreasonable, in order to set up that battle gotcha. that he had uh, rap already written for. So it was like opportunistic of him. He it pretty much was an yeah. agenda that he had. I ain't mad at him for being that way. You know, sometimes people become the king by usurping the throne, and if they actually get that crown, who to say that they was wrong for having such a devious plan? You know what I'm saying? But if you don't execute it right, it turns out that you know it is what it is. Whatever. You know, okay. Some people thought he flattened me. Some people thought he didn't. You see what I'm saying? And so it is what it is. However, it turned out I'm right here talking about it. I'm on the road. Yeah, yeah, I'm of sure. course. I run, I run my company and I got a holiday in my city. <laughs> and I wish the and I wish the best to uh, everybody who was involved in that battle. I'm just curious. After all these years pass by, do you guys ever communicate? <laughs> He came to my album, uh, my fifth, the anniversary of Sierra Self. And so it's not like we about to like try to make sure buddy buddy, but we did everything smoothed out over the years. We would be childish to be trying to harbor feelings from things we felt in our adolescence or in our 20s. You know what I'm saying? And so it's good to see, you know, his crew flourished after that. They, uh, they had shot callers and big ballers. And I wish I even could have had a part in that. I was like, damn, we ain't homies no more. But I'm, I'm glad they found their way in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? I think he's even gone on record to say, like, you know, he's matured. And, and I think he appreciated the opportunity. And all that was pretty much, you know, back in the day, so to speak. Um, and I, and I know, look, I don't want to get personal, but I know he's had some issues. Uh, so health issues. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think he's maybe reflected. Yeah. Uh, Change your perspective. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, uh, with or without the health issues, we wish him well. But even uh, you know, with or without, we just get maturity and we gain perspective on things that we've done in our life. And you know, sometimes we be like, man. I could have did that different, you know what I mean? I thought about that hella times too because I was so nonchalant. He was probably he was really offended by my response. I tell y'all this on the phone when he told me when I told him I couldn't make it. He said, "Oh man, blah blah blah," and I said, "What I said was you putting too much on it." And when I told him he was putting too much on it, he 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 he, he got mad. 
he was like, I'm putting too much on it. Putting too, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, dang, on the phone, now we got problems. And so I could have used better words and I could have I did things better too. You know, as we're talking about this reflection um, right now and, and going back in time and changing your perspective and so forth, I got to tell you, man, I loved your Instagram post the other day about the best rappers today are in their 40s. Challenge me. I love that. It's true. And you know what? I mean, and some people be getting offended or even thinking that I'm shunning. I'm not shunning no 20-year-old rappers. I'm not shunning no, but I'm more or less, honestly, I was looking at it like a card game, like Pokemon. And if they were divided up by age groups, you would not be able to see the 40s. No matter what cards you have from the 20s, mm-hmm. you could take the hottest. And, you know, we'd have attributes and categories. But, yeah, uh, there's a lot of MCs. And this is to say, it's not egotistical. It's just to say there's longevity and there's life for a young MC right now who's 13 rapping. I want him to know that the Raw's dudes today, even if you're going off sales or money or anything, they in their 40s. Because we got MJ and everybody. So you got to already bow down as soon as we start saying that. True that, man. Hey, you're talking to a bunch of guys in their 40s right now. All right. <laughs> Go in there. You mentioned Pokemon, but fuck that, man. You guys are. Ken Griffey Jr. Upper Deck Rookies Mark McGuire <laughs> USA Rookie Cards Fucking Bo Jacksons yes, man You guys run this shit Yes sir Much appreciate You've always kind of Stayed ahead of the curve I know you're Even though you don't Drop albums every year You're always busy with things It seems like If it's not like real estate Or cryptocurrency Or st- whatever it is You're always involved in something is that uh? Is it's it's always been like that, or is that just as we get older, you know, you find more interests that uh, align with your your you know your thought process and your your maturity? No, it's always been like that. Even if you think back to our conversation earlier about uh, uh, you know how we developed our bars on the West Coast, looking towards a lot of sound waves that would come out of the East Coast, but it would it would not just be lyrics. First, it would be fashion and style. And then when you got into that, it would be like, I mean, eventually the path led, and it didn't, I'm not saying, oh, let me just say what I'm saying. <laughs> eventually the path did does lead to technology and other things that you want to jet set with. You don't want to jet set with sneakers. Now you want to have the newest device or the newest gadget. You know what I'm saying? Or the newest the two-way before everybody got two-ways because they was rocking those on the East Coast and bowling open. And we kind of know how the flow of all information went before the information age. It used to go from big cities to cut to the country. And, you know, New York and L.A. being the bigger cities, it would flow in those directions, and then different things would flow back, like they were still our slang because it sounded funny to them. Well, I'm sorry, I don't want to uh, run off on a tangent. No, and go ahead. Over-expound. By all means. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's do this, because we usually play this quick game. I'm going to give you two options. It's called this or that. You're just going to have to pick one. Gun to head. I'm giving you two options, and you're going to have to pick the one you you, you prefer. All right? He think he raw or smash Rockwell? Smash Rockwell. Real quick, why? 
uh, because I feel like it was one that it was more well received and I made people for my fans music for my fans to like but two because I got to do uh, what I consider more bar work that will last longer on that album bar, bar work like the style song you know what I'm saying alright I'm gonna keep it Bay Area in this one ready alright Gary Payton or Ricky Henderson Gary Payton. Oh, oh man. You, you just really? stabbed Jay in the heart. It was because of the sport he plays and because of when I was born. I'm the only two reasons. Ricky the man. I grew up with in the Ricky craze, but I wasn't messing with it because I hated baseball. So, he <laughs> played. I hated baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I, was just, I, was, I wasn't with that. I mean, I just didn't like it. It was too slow for me. Too yeah. slow. Shorty the pimp or getting where you fit in? Getting where you fit in. I can't, I can't think of nothing that was on short uh, Well, QD3 and and, uh, and M Banks killed it on, on getting where you fit in, so that's a good call. I'm not mad at that. Plus, he shouts out Gary Payton. Yeah, who's uh, that? I'm going to give you more current one, more more in your, your wheelhouse. Litecoin or Ripple? Ripple. Ripple. What's up, Ripple? It's like 25, 26 cents. I ain't, I ain't looked at crypto in a, in a couple days. I mean, all I've been looking at is Bitcoin. Keep it real. I ain't looked at no altcoins in, in a minute. But when you say Litecoin or Ripple at this stage, it would be possibly because of the potential of growth of Ripple. I mean, the quote-unquote, what it could go to. We've seen it go to over a dollar or two. What was it? Almost $2 from, from 25 cents. So if you're looking for another run and you're dealing with crypto, you got 50 bucks, say that. You can get a lot more ripples than you could probably get, you know what I'm saying, Litecoin. And yeah. got, you could probably make more money off of it if that craze ever come back. Yeah, you're right. All right, we'll, we'll do one more because you, you've been a sport. Ready? Mio Mayo or That's How It Is? Oh, see. That's how it is. Yeah, my man. Yes, no, I agree. I concur. I don't know how you did that. That's like picking your favorite child. <laughs> I agree, you though, but that's both Look, great. Think about it. That was my first single verse, my third single, so you already could know which one I picked first. I wanted to present myself with That's How It Is again, because when I told y'all my primary concern back then was proven to MCs. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about fans. I mean, I wanted, like, Daylight Soul and... uh KRS to, to say I was good. You feel me? And yeah. so that's why I presented that first. That song was hard. Well, I, you know what, man? I, I think you get all the accolades and the props. Like you said, rappers today, whether it's Master Ace, Farrell Munch, you, everybody who's in their 40s is still putting in the work and, and quite honestly putting in better work and better albums than, than most people that are in their 20s today. So, Yeah, Kaz, what do you... What, what do you attribute to that, like, battery that everybody's gotten on their backpack all of a sudden? You guys have been making excellent material these last 12 months, 18 months. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, even, I mean, I'm going to speak for the whole 40 class. I think it is the, the leaders we have. We got great leaders. Like, I mean, for everybody in hip-hop, if you really look at it, like, Jay-Z is a wonderful leader for hip-hop. He can inspire you to keep going. And others like himself who shine at, at, at this age. And it's not just lyrically shining. It's just being uh, commercially relevant. And when I say commercially, I'm talking about commerce. I mean, people forget that's the root word, commercial, so it's not really a bad word. It's like, if you got something that's sellable and viable and you can still walk into any market in this economic system and do something and it all started from your bars, why would you stop rapping? 
You know what I'm saying? You might and yep. guys like Two Chains who didn't blow up till they was 45 or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm keeping in the butt. I'm Is he really? Real. Like, Is no, he really? I mean, I, mean, I probably old. ain't hit the number on the nose, but he had a whole. Probably sad. I don't want to say his career was sad. It is what it was when he was titty boy. But he wasn't too changed. And that happened after years of trying to be large. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so there are a lot of great accomplishments that's happened with some of the uh, older rappers. Eminem, 46. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. 45, whatever. Right. You know, and he, he'll bust anybody down with the penmanship. Yeah, no doubt. And so why would you give up? You only 32. You know what I'm saying? Keep going. You might. You know, it's a lot of good examples, basically. Cash, we we saw KRS One uh, live last year. And he's what fifty something, something. 54, 54, like 55, that. something like that. He's better. Yeah. He's better than anyone I've ever seen on the stage live. Still the best live show. Still the best live yeah, show he, ever. He had one of the best live shows in hip hop for the remain. I mean, the majority of his career, and he ain't lost a step. You know? Nope, nope, true that. So we got Hyro Day coming up. What what can the fans expect from you? Material. You know, I know you dropped some stuff off uh, Dope Folk Records, which is probably like a lot of your obscure or like demo stuff. Yeah. That was all the stuff. Then I did. I put out a song with the, on the Mechanics album, but really, honestly, Hyrule Day is about us, you know, featuring who we digging. And so I'm really looking forward. I'm gonna do some of my newer cuts. I might hit y'all off with one so y'all can play it for the people. But I'm looking forward to some of the acts we brought out. Like Benny the Butcher, you know what I'm saying? Conway, I love to see them on the high road day stage. Killing it. You know what I'm saying? We got Scarface coming, you know what I'm saying? And people that it's just an honor to be like, dang, this is our stage that they rocking on. We set this up and this is us. Yeah. So I want everybody to come out and celebrate all of the talent, plus look forward to the new things that high road members will drop on them. It's the eighth year too, so you know, you guys have had a a few years to kind of get it straight and and kind of work out all the kinks and I know that you were a director pretty much of this whole Hyro uh, Day thing and you know I think you guys got a really great thing going on in the Bay Area people go back for the arts uh, for the food for the drinks for, for the for the Hyro crew and all the all the groups you guys bring out so I think I think you guys are doing a, a real solid thing annually out there we appreciate that man thanks a lot plus we got the uh, re-release of Third Eye Vision we have a giveaway so on the show so good another great album yeah baby that's on Fat Beats. Y'all can catch that out. Always check out everything at hieroglyphics.com or shophiro.com. And you can get all that new stuff. I got to I got to tell you, man. I had the pleasure of um, hanging out with you on on one uh, crazy night back in like ninety eight, ninety nine in Milwaukee when we did a show. Always been a cool dude, man. I'm glad to see you keep doing what you're doing, and um and, and being as cool as you are. And the stories, the stories tonight, Jay bringing out yeah. some. Oh, that organized confusion. That was a, that was a jewel. That blocking, was a jewel. So, people, man. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I even remember that show in '98 in Milwaukee. It was at the Wave. Yeah, man. We were back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a long night. <laughs> it's a long night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's all good. It's all good. Well, y'all, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for you know, every time. Be on the lookout. Hyro Day's coming in a few weeks. Casual is dropping some new material. And, of course, we have the Third Eye Vision giveaway. 
coming to you. So, Cash, man, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All the best. Peace. I got a feeling the nigga could make a killing if he packed up his bags and moved to New Zealand, New Guinea, New York. You need something new besides a fucking new course. Prepared to be dead. The street said, yo, shit's off like wheat bread. Your own block. You make shit, they won't knock. I'm a worldwide hustler. Hoes be at us because of OG status. Fans throw weed at us. Music, discussions, and exclusive interviews with hip-hop's finest. Take It Personal Radio at TakeItPersonalRadio.com, where you can find all the episodes, interviews, and the latest merch available.